0: Alright, we are continuing in the book of Acts today, and we are uh, jumping into a story that's pretty special to me, and I love. I uh, Usually on, on uh, Sundays, I'm our student director, so I'm with our students everywhere from 5th grade all the way through high school. And uh, Ricardo's out today, so I get the shot to talk to you guys about the Word of God, which I'm excited about. But this text I love because... During the week, my full-time job and what I do is I'm on campus at ASU, and my goal and my mission is to talk to as many students as I can about Jesus, and to, for Christian students who are on campus, teach them how to articulate their own faith publicly. And today, we're going to find out what happens when the church continues to proclaim their faith the message of Jesus, but they're in a world that would rather they stay silent. So, First day on campus at ASU, I will never forget. So I quit my job, and for the entire summer, I spent the entire time reading books about talking about Jesus and how to communicate the faith. I planned, and I planned, and I read scripture. And then day one came, and I was so excited to be on campus to talking to people about Jesus. And for about an hour, I walked around, just kind of looking around. I was excited, and then second hour came, and I was like, okay, I... I should start talking to some people, and I had that weird moment where I'd be walking past people and be, "Hey, no, okay." and just keep moving on and for a little bit. And then I, I started to kind of panic. And, and I found myself at the bottom of the library in an area abandoned with books, and so nobody's in there, and I'm sitting down and I start praying, and my prayers were, "God, I don't know what I am doing. <laughs> I'm supposed to talk to people about Jesus and communicate the faith, but I was so terrified. That after praying for a bit, I found myself to the point of tears, just sitting there going, I don't know how to do this. And it was because I was a year and a half out of college, out of ASU myself. I knew the second that I started saying Jesus is Savior and the only way, I knew the questions that would come back at us from our culture. How dare you say that? Jesus is the only way. What do you mean? You believe in a faith where there was a resurrected from the dead man? And... And I was scared because I knew the, I knew those questions were coming. I didn't really know how to deal with them, and I was kind of freaked out at what would happen. And that question is, I know I'm not the only one who gets that kind of response when talking about the gospel, and this is not a new question. This is the earliest church questions that they got from the first people they proclaimed the gospel to. And so what we're going to see today is how Jesus empowers his church to witness to his gospel his uniqueness and with his boldness. So would you guys pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of the stories in your word, Lord, that they might shape us and teach us what it means to be witnesses in your world today. We love you, Jesus. I pray that you would make every meditation of my mind and every word from my mouth be something that could lead everyone to seeing you face to face, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, verse one, chapter four. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching in the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Okay, just remember that when we started off the book of Acts, the first story we saw was Jesus with his apostles, and he promised them four things. He said, the already not yet tension of my kingdom being on earth is going to continue. You're going to be my witnesses to the message of the gospel. I'm going to give you my spirit so you have power to do it. And this message, this promise God had started long ago is finally going to get out to the whole world, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, to the point that it's in Arizona today. And so what we've seen so far in Acts is every single thing Jesus promised came true. Jesus promised that they would be witnesses And they spoke about the gospel. Jesus promised that he would pour out his spirit. Week one, he pours out his spirit and people are prophesying and doing miraculous works. Jesus promised that he would be with them. And it is obvious Jesus is with them to the point where last week, a man who was crippled was laying down and Peter and John, one of the two apostles, say, hey, Get up and walk. And he gets up and he walks. And he begins to dance and everybody's celebrating and Peter and John are going, this is the power of Jesus. This is the power of the death and the resurrection. And then what we see is in the middle of that little celebration event, the same crowd that arrested and crucified Jesus grab Peter and John, throw them in a prison and then leave them there overnight. I'm guessing probably to make them sweat it out and think about what you've said. And uh, the next morning, verse five, On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? So their question is, who gives you the right to say what you're saying? And we get from Luke, who wrote this, what they're really annoyed about is the resurrection. So they're greatly annoyed because they're teaching in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, the Sadducees, we know so far in the Gospel of Luke, have a problem with the resurrection. They don't think it's a thing. But we can't read our culture into the Sadducees and think, oh, they don't believe in the resurrection because the resurrection doesn't fit into the scientific method and people don't resurrect from the dead. No, every good Jew back in the day knew that at the end of the world, God would resurrect the dead And what that meant is the kingdom of God had arrived. And what that meant is every ruler, reigner, and authority that was not a part of the kingdom of God would be overturned. Which was a problem for the Sadducees because they had it in really tight with the Roman authorities. So for a message to start where they say Jesus is king and he is the resurrected Lord and the kingdom of God has come and Rome's not really in charge anymore. That's a problem for the Sadducees because they're gaining money from being in with the Romans. They're gaining power and they're gaining prestige. It would be the equivalent today of a rich evangelical kind of stepping back on a few clear things in scripture as far as caring for the poor and injustice and showing hospitality and talking about God's understanding and view of biblical sexuality. Things that our culture does not like us talking about and going, we'll just kind of ignore those things because If I do speak about them, I could lose power. I could lose authority. and I mean, things as simple as people won't like me. And what we will see is the response that Peter and John give is empowered only by Jesus. So here's what they say. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. So, when Peter stands up in the middle of the same crowd that crucified Jesus, I mean, these are the guys in charge of arresting and crucifying Jesus. He's standing there, and it says that the Holy Spirit filled him to speak, and he begins to speak in what comes out of his mouth. The historical event of the cross and the resurrection. When it comes to Jesus empowering his people to do exactly what he was said, to be witnesses, they are witnessing to an actual event in history. Peter's not going, hey, let me tell you about a new theological idea or here's a new self-help program or here's how you can get your life better. Peter stands up and goes, you know what? Jesus died, you killed him. He resurrected from the dead because that was God's plan. And by him and by that event, this man is made whole and made well. As a church, our proclamation of the gospel has to always be the actual events of the gospel. It has to be the actual death and resurrection of Jesus. If those events did not happen 2,000 years ago, we might as well walk out these doors and never come back in. There's there's nothing else that our faith has to ground itself besides the actual event of the death and the resurrection of Jesus 2,000 years ago. And if we don't believe that actually happened, we're still in our sin. We have no good news Something had to happen for Peter. And so when they ask him, by what power, what authority, what are you guys doing? He tells them very simply, Jesus died and he resurrected from the dead. Which I love when it comes to thinking about, how do I articulate my faith? How do I share my faith? Just tell people, Jesus died and then he got it back up from the grave. Good job. Like, that's all, that's all the simplicity that it needs there. I mean, if you want, like, the knock it out of the park way to communicate the faith, Peter says exactly that. And the reason why he says that is because you can't have good news unless something actually happened. So, mm, I'm trying to think like five, six, no, much longer, like ten years ago, I, uh, I was in wrestling in high school, and I'm in the middle of a match, and uh, I do a move, I won't show you guys, it would be too fast for you to see, and I <laughs> twist my knee and I hear a pop. And I go, ooh, that's not good. And uh, eventually go to the doctor, and the doctor goes, "Oh, you tore your meniscus," and I was like, "Ah, oh, that's not good." He goes, "You should, probably shouldn't wrestle on it," and I go, "That's fine." And so I wrestle on it a year. Still, come back, and the doctor goes, "Yeah, your meniscus is still torn, and now you got a big cyst in your knee. We got to fix it." And so they told me we gotta do surgery. That wasn't really good news. Like hearing, like, here's what you have to do. Not good news. It wasn't good news either when they're like, we're going to do the surgery and then you should have some recovery time and be good to go. Eventually, they wheel me in, they get me all set up, they do the surgery, I wake up, and the doctor goes, all right, we cleaned it out, you're good to go, you'll need some rehab, but your knee is fixed. Good news has to be something that actually happened. It wasn't good news that I found out my knee was messed up. It was not good news when the doctor said, here's my advice of what you should do to get a healthier knee. That's not good news, it's advice. The good news was when the actual event that my knee was fixed and my knee was healed. And for Peter, something had to happen for it to be good news. When I was going through this and I was thinking about this, I began to ask, I get it. Peter and John are saying Jesus died and resurrected because they saw Jesus die and resurrect from the dead. How do we claim a historical death and resurrection when we weren't there? Ever thought about that? I, I was thinking about that all the time while I was reading through this. Like, how do we proclaim and stand upon really saying something happened 2,000 years ago which we never saw? The same way that Peter did. He goes, You want evidence? Look at the man standing right here. He is made whole, he is made well. Peter understands the gospel as a rehumanization event. God's goal in history is to make us more human again because sin tarnishes, messes up so much that we are less human because of it. And you want to know how we can stand on the resurrection as an actual event? Point to something that actually happened. Just like I would know that my doctor was actually good because I could say, my knee is working now. It worked. It actually worked. The best thing the church has, the best thing, is that we can proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus in how it affects us. How it has made us more human, how we have seen God in our community make people more human, whether it be transforming your mind, your actions, so they look totally radically different, and that ends up being probably the most common thing that I talk to students about when I'm on campus. When I'm explaining the doctrine of the resurrection and how Jesus was resurrected from the dead, I really don't have, like, a lot of time to explain, like, how exactly a man got back up out of the grave, even though that's never happened before because I don't, I don't really know how that happened. Like. But I can say that 2,000 years ago, a man really did get up out of the grave. He wa- really was God, and he really was Savior, because I used to be so terrified of death that I couldn't even go on family vacations or snowboarding because I was afraid the car might slip off the side of the road. It was like weird fears. And now, I can honestly say I'm not afraid of it. And I can point to my own story and we can point to our own story and how God has made us more human. And that is the proof of the cross. And so Jesus empowers his church to proclaim his gospel in the events, the actual historical events, but also to proclaim and witness to his gospel in his uniqueness. Look at verse 11. This Jesus... Is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I cannot think of a more inflammatory statement within our culture besides that one that Peter just made. There is no other way to salvation to God, to life, to anything good besides Jesus, period. Peter just stood up and told in the middle of this council who killed Jesus, Jesus is the only way, and that is it. There is nothing else that could bring salvation. There is no other name. There is no other God. There is no other religion. There is no other self-help method. There is nothing in culture that could save and redeem humanity except for The actual man, Jesus, and his death and his resurrection. When I thought about this, and when I thought about even just being on campus and talking to students, I began to realize that not only how much our culture has a problem with this, but what the response is. Like, isn't that a little arrogant to claim your religion and only your religion is the only one that actually works? Like, isn't that claim a little bit crazy to say that Jesus is the only way to God and Peter says that? I mean, are we really gonna claim that to the world and everybody else is wrong and Jesus is the only way? What our culture usually says, and I would articulate somewhere along the lines, is kind of universalism. Like, all paths, all roads lead to God, which sounds really nice, honestly. Like, I mean, I began to ask myself, like, if God is love, And he really does love his world. How is it more loving for him to make one path to him instead of multiple? And what I began to realize is that universalism kind of communicates it like this. God is on top of a mountain, and the mountain is very high. And every human in humanity wants to be near God. And so we begin to climb the mountain and we begin to journey to the top of the mountain to reach God. And you know what? If you start on the north side with Christianity, good for you, make it to the top. If you start on the east side and you start with Buddhism, good for you, make it to the top. If you go with Islam, if you go with any other religion in the world, you know what? They're just other sides of the mountain. We're all going to the same God and we're going to get there somehow at the top. Which again, sounds really nice. Except the picture that is painted in the scripture is that We, like the man who was healed right here, are laying down at the bottom of the mountain with crippled legs. We cannot climb to God. That would be great. It would be great if all roads led to salvation, all roads led to God, if it really truly was that we could make it ourselves and climb to God. But the Bible tells us we can't climb because we're paralyzed in our sin. We are laying down at the bottom of the mountain, dead, with legs that don't work, and we're not even looking for God. And the story of the gospel is that Jesus comes down one direction, one way, the cross and the resurrection, and he picks us up, and he brings us back up with him to the top of the mountain to be with God. That is the gospel. And the uniqueness of the gospel is beautiful because, yeah, there is only one way. Because it's the only way that God can work on our behalf to bring us into his family and to bring us into salvation. So the uniqueness of the gospel and the uniqueness of Jesus only is good news. It's the only claim that says God does the work for us. And that's something that we can stand on. But as beautiful as that message is. It's so sweet. I love hearing that and getting to talk to that and get to communicate that. It doesn't matter how much I know, I still get up every day on campus and I go, ooh, this is this is gonna be tough. <laughs> talk to people. And you think that after doing a little bit, you'd get a little used to it. But it's so difficult. And why? Like, why is it so hard to communicate the face sometimes? Well, I think we're gonna see in the story. Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. I love that. The crippled man's just standing there, just grinning. Look what God did. They're like, shh, I'm trying to deal with these guys. And I love that Peter gets up and he proclaims a message that is very simple. Jesus died, he rose from the dead, and he is the only answer to salvation, which encourages us because we don't really need to know a lot. In fact, that's what they say. These guys are uneducated, common men. How can they respond this way? Now, they're not saying Peter and John are, like, not smart. What they're saying, and those words mean, is they're not rabbis. They didn't go to Jewish school. So how are they able to give a defense and claim the story of the God of Israel, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in a way that makes sense, that they can't even disagree with, and they didn't even go to school for it? How are they able to give such a powerful defense? That's the same thing. Like How are they able to give such a powerful defense? I think it's so easy to romanticize the stories in Acts. And that's why I love that Acts is a sequel to the story of Luke, the gospel of Luke. And I want to show you guys a story about Peter that I think will really help put into perspective what God is doing, not what Peter is doing. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, verse 54. Then, They seized him, that's Jesus, what's going on here, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. Same Peter. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another per- insisted, saying, Certainly this man was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you're going to deny me three times. And he went out, and he wept bitterly. This is the same Peter in the story of Acts, and I love that. Because it's easy to romanticize these stories in the book of Acts, but it is very clear from the beginning of Acts that the only person working mightily in Acts is Jesus, he is the power. His spirit is the power that is making the church do what they could not do apart from him. Here's Peter denying Jesus to his face in front of a little servant girl. Like she, she can't like arrest him or do anything. He's like, no, I don't know Jesus at all. And then they lock eyes and Peter weeps, just weeps bitterly. How does Peter find the power to stand up in the same council that killed Jesus and say, you killed Jesus, He resurrected from the dead. He is the only way to salvation and that's all I need to say because the Holy Spirit made him new. Jesus empowers his church to proclaim his witness with his own boldness. Even Jesus' boldness and power came from the Holy Spirit. And in love, Jesus promises his church at the beginning of Acts, I'm going to give you the power to be a witness. And then we see, like we have been seeing over and over and over again in Acts, what Jesus promised, he's going to do. And he does. And Peter stands up and gives a defense. And it's not in his eloquence. He's not educated in the rabbi tradition. And I don't think it's even really his charismatic abilities or his energy. I think he just sits there and goes, this is what I saw, this is what I know. And I'm just going to say it. I think my favorite story of all time on campus these last few years has been one of a student named Ian. (laughs) It is because in this story, every time I think about it, it constantly reminds me that when it comes to proclaiming Jesus, when it comes to proclaiming the news, the good news, we're just showing up and the Holy Spirit's doing his thing. So I'm on campus for a day. And I'm trying to talk to random students as they go by, strike up conversations and get them talking about God and hoping that we can bring the conversation to be able to talk about Jesus. And it was just one of those days, which I have a lot, where I get to the end of it and I go, does any of this even work? Like, is is anybody even listening? Like, what is happening? And so I sit down and I'm pouting on this rock in the middle of, like, the park and I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm like, God, I'm done. I'm quitting for the day. We'll try again tomorrow, I guess. And on walks this guy named Ian, and he goes, Hey, what are you doing? And I look up and I'm like, What do you mean? (laughs) No conversation prior to that. He goes, Oh, well, do you want to walk with me? And I go, Ah, this is weird. But, uh, all right, God, I was just praying, so I'm not going to say no. So I get up and I start walking with Ian, and he goes, Hey, I've seen you on campus before, talking to people. What do you do? And so I begin to tell him why I'm there and what I believe in. He's like, oh, that's cool. I'm a philosophy major. That's nice. And we just continue to talk and tell each other stories about each other's lives. And uh, I share the gospel with Ian. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's nice. Very cool. Anyways, man, um, I'll see you later. We exchange information, and we begin to keep hanging out, just grabbing lunch on campus for maybe six or eight months. And over and over, I'm, like, prepared. I'm meeting with Ian, and I'm telling him the gospel is best as I can. I'm like, yes, drop the hammer. This is going to be good. He is going to totally be like, I want to believe right now. And they'll be like, that's nice. No, thanks, man. And anyways, let's keep talking. And then we just talk about life. And so over and over again, I'm like, all right, I, I don't know how to get through this guy. And, uh, and then he vanishes for a couple of months. I'm like, huh, I don't know what's going on there. And we finally hear from him. He's like, do you want to get lunch? And we meet. He's like, hey, man, I'm moving back home. And so I'm leaving school, I'm gonna go back to Washington. I'm like, ah, man, okay, well. And I say, okay, man, this is my last shot to talk to you about Jesus, so uh, I'll just give it to you straight. What you believe about the world is wrong. Jesus died for your sins, and you need to trust in him. And he goes, okay, I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I'm standing there, I'm like, uh... What do you mean you're in? He's like, I'm in. I, I want to I wanna do it, man. I want to be, believe in God. What do we do next? <laughs> I go, I, I, uh, I don't really know. I didn't get this far. I didn't, <laughs> wasn't thinking about that at all. And so I go, Ian, do you know how to pray? And he's like, no. I'm like, okay, well, let's go for a walk. I'll teach you how to pray. And so out flows this beautiful prayer. And I'm like standing here going, what is going on? and the uh, story gets better. So then we're standing there, and he goes, so uh, I heard you talk about baptism before. How do we do that? Can, we, can, we, can I get baptized? I'm like, yeah, man, we just need water. He's like, cool, let's do, let's do right now. <laughs> we're on ASU's campus, and now I'm panicking because I'm, like, totally awkwarded out. I'm like, this is weird, but all right. And he goes, yeah, well, I was like, well, let me call some friends. Maybe we can get some people in on this, or we could do it as a community. He's like, no, I want to get baptized right now. My car is packed And I just want to talk to you one last time before I left. And then I'm going to Washington. I want to start my new life. And uh, I was sitting there going, this is totally weird. And like, I'm kind of scared right now. But I was thinking to myself, I don't want to be the guy that said no to baptizing someone. (laughs) And so he goes, so we just need water. Yeah, we just need water. Well, there's like a fountain at the front of ASU. (laughs) All right. And so we walk up to the front of the fountain. And I dunk him. And people walking by are like, and I and I mean and I'm not like I'm not like Peter here boldly going like you see what God is doing? I'm just like I don't know. And I walk him back to his apartment and he says goodbye and leaves and I walk away and I'm going wow god like I didn't do anything. Like I said Jesus died for your sins and then you did the rest I guess. Like I had no there was nothing in my eloquence, nothing in my preparation, nothing in my personality to convince this guy to believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit decided that was the day and that was the day and I was just along for the ride. The only thing that Peter did, John did, or that we could ever do is show up and say, Jesus died, resurrected, and salvation is in him. So if you don't know anything about how to communicate the faith, church, I wanna encourage you, it doesn't take a whole lot. And the power is in Jesus I think why it's so hard for us to communicate the faith sometimes is two things, very real. One, Jesus said the already not yet of the kingdom is still gonna be there. Like there's gonna be this battle between God's kingdom and the world that we live in today where there's tension and sometimes you're gonna communicate the gospel and look at what happens here. They see a miracle and they go, not buying it. Like we know the miracle's real, but no thanks to Jesus. So sometimes we are going to find that that's exactly what's going to happen. And I think the only response that we can have is what Peter had. And so, pick up again in verse 15. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do to these men? For a notable sign has been done among them. And it is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it might not spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more in anyone's name. So they called them in, charged them not to speak to each other in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all we're praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And you've got this response that is so hard hearted and so much unbelief. And if anybody should be able to convince someone, it's Peter who hung out with Jesus. And yet, part of God's plan actually is that even through rejection, his gospel is going to spread. We don't know what God is doing in his kingdom when we announce the gospel. Sometimes it is just going to get a rejection. But like Peter and like John, their response is, "Hey, we are witnesses, like a witness like in a courtroom. Like you put your hand on a Bible and you say, "I solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help be God." They're not giving opinions on what they think about everything. They're just saying, "I saw this and I heard this, and that is all the church is called to. That's beautiful because it lifts off so much pressure from us because I think one of the reasons it's so hard to communicate the faith is we do it in a pressure sales kind of environment. Like I have to make something happen with this person and we don't communicate our faith out of the grace of our faith. Knowing that I can't add anything to the love and the gospel that has been given to me in Jesus. Now, before we close, I want to give you guys a little spoiler alert. End of Acts. The end of Acts we'll continue there and we'll be there in a, about a year. It is going to. No, seriously, it's gonna be a year. So <laughs> 28 chapters of these almighty stories where God is working and fulfilling his promises in Jesus. And then you get to the 28th chapter, and it's talking about this guy named Paul, and this story just drops off, and then you go to the last page, and you're like, Where's the rest? And it's because when Luke wrote the gospel. He did not want us to look at it and say, wow, look what God did back then. The book of Acts is written so that we can go, wow, look at what God has promised to do and will do today. Because the book of Acts just didn't end. The church is still representing the message. I mean, it has gotten out to all of Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth I don't think the apostles had any any idea what Arizona was called, and yet here we are in Arizona worshiping Jesus, and it is proven evidence that what Jesus said, he's going to do. What Jesus said, he's going to do. And so we can take grace as we go out today and just say the gospel as short, as simple, as sweet as it is, and we don't have to make anything happen. Our faithfulness is just simply,